Welcome to World is Burning, the storytelling podcast for your climate anxiety. I'm Elise. And I'm Olivia. And this week we're doing the subject that I avoided several weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Myths part two. Yeah. Uh, Which is important. And honestly, I was just telling you beforehand, I'm kind of glad we waited because uh-huh. part of this was like, oh, this is, overpopulation myth is something we wanted to talk about for a long time. And like this 8 billion mark is coming up. Like it would be good yeah. to whatever, have this conversation now and then continue it like when Mm -hmm. all the press is coming up. But it's been helpful for me to like to frame this episode around this idea of like how people reacted to the 8 billion mark. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's so much that goes into this topic. So I feel like we should just jump into it. But yeah, yeah, let's do it. I honestly I have no idea. This could be like I could barrel through this in 30 minutes or maybe it'll take like an hour and a half. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but I have a lot of sources. I'll put all of my sources on our website, worldisburning.com. And yeah, you'll see them there. But the United Nations report on the 8 billion mark has been important. CNN, New York Times, Our World and Data, Insider, Atmos, Earth Overshoot Day, Yale Environment 360, Our Changing Climate, um, Guardian Opinion, and there's more. A Crash Course episode that I watched mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago and forgot about, like, um, lots, lots of other stuff, stuff on Twitter. Yeah. Overpopulation is something that like we've talked about in several episodes or we've kind of talked around it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of connections between harmful ideas about po- population growth and climate change. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the topics that I'm honestly nervous to cover because you just never know how things are going to get taken out of context. It's difficult to encapsulate like why this issue is so nuanced. And also why it's so rooted in white supremacy and ecofascism. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to do my best. Um, hopefully point you to some resources that you can explore further on your own. Um, and also just like talk about it. At the end of this, we're going to talk about like how to address these conversations when they come up in your everyday life. And like this is kind of yeah. me trying to show you how to do that through the episode. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Which I'm not saying I'm yeah. going to do it perfectly. I definitely will not. But it's a conversation that's not going to go away. So we kind of have to learn how to talk about it. Yeah, no, I feel like it's definitely one of those conversations that like, I don't know, I like to pay attention to like when I start feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. Or yeah. Am I feeling uncomfortable because they're challenging my own beliefs or my lack of knowledge? Or am I uncomfortable because they're like, you know, dog whistling like, for ecofascism. <laughs> ecofascism, exactly. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's both. I don't know. Who's to say? Probably. <laughs> so maybe after this, you'll at least both of us will know a little bit more and be more prepared. Yeah. For that. Yes. We're actually recording this at an interesting time because the global human population hit eight billion a few weeks ago on November fifteenth of this year. Technically, mm-hmm. there is no like exact global count. So this is more like the UN estimate was that it was November 15th and it seems mm-hmm. to, to go to their projections. But like an exact number of how many people are in the world doesn't necessarily exist. Which is kind of a little bit weird. Yeah. It makes sense because people are like dying and people are missing. Mm-hmm. And like, are they dead or alive? We have no idea. But like, it's it's weird that we don't actually have a f- count. Yeah, I think so, too. Or you just always think about all of those, st- like, statistics that are impossible to know. 
Like, I always yeah. thought when I was mm-hmm. little, this is an aside, but, like, when I was little, I always thought that, like, when I died, that's, like, what you would find out is, like, all of those uncountable, like, things that are not knowable. Oh, that's cool. But I also think that, like, <laughs> well, so many things are knowable. Yeah. In a way that, like, I didn't know was possible when I was a kid. Anyways. Yeah. Um, but this November 15th day, going back to that, mm-hmm. it was happening at the same time as the swift crumbling of Twitter, um, as oh, it was yeah. owned by Elon Musk, who we will come back to briefly later on. Oh, boy. So I feel like I might not have seen as many reactions to this news as I would have otherwise, because I haven't totally figured out where I'm finding my social media news from, slash if I need it from anywhere. Um, yeah. Social response to news. But I definitely saw a few, um, and it was definitely reported on. The, you actually sent me a CNN article that I thought was very even-keeled. Um, you said mm-hmm. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It it brought up, like, a lot of points. Anything where I was like, are you going to say this? Are you going to say this? Then they said it, and I was like, okay, yeah. okay, we're good. Yeah, no, I really I really thought it was well done. Um, I'm going to talk about one that I didn't think was as well done. Okay. Um, but I feel like it shouldn't be that hard to just present the factual truth about the population estimate changing um Mm -hmm. but it's understandable to like see how people could find that scary even just like the two lines from associated press or whatever um without Mm -hmm. any other context and that's because like many myths the overpopulation myth is rooted in fear fear of lack of resources fear of losing power fear of instability on a planetary scale Those are big and very human fears. And I think Mm -hmm. when we've experienced as much fear and instability as we have in the last few years, um, it's understandable for these fears to be amplified. Mm -hmm. But I do think that some responses to this 8 billion mark sort of fed these fears. Um, I was really disappointed by the New York Times article on the subject. Okay, It focuses on global population shooting up like a hockey stick. And that's literally a quote from it, shooting up like a hockey stick. Gotcha. I think that just like this idea of watching numbers skyrocket in any context is super scary and induces anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. I should have gone back to the hockey stick chart that came up in our Inconvenient Truth episode. Um, This is like different numbers. It's about population, not about, uh, I think that was like PPM of carbon. Mm -hmm. But like seeing those numbers induces anxiety And so I think when you like present something like that and then kind of just leave it, it allows people to come to their own conclusions, which are often based on biases that they hold. Or just a gut reaction. Yeah. Just like, oh, no, it's different. Right. Than it was before. Right. That doesn't seem good. You know, scary things going out of your control, like doesn't seem good. Yeah. The article also mentions that the next billion people are likely to be born primarily in sub-Saharan Africa, which is true. More than half of the projected increase in the global population up to 2050 will be concentrated in eight countries, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, Egypt, Ethiopia, India, Nigeria, Pakistan, the Philippines, and the United Republic of Tanzania. Mm. Which I wonder if the flooding in Pakistan will affect that projection. Birth rates and stuff? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I like I have no idea. But I imagine like a catastrophe would affect that. No, definitely. Which which is obviously bad if they were like expected to flourish and now are. Whatever, yeah, but. I'll get to that actually in a second because it, yeah, it comes up a lot, especially like trying to make projections for like decades out. 
when we're on this yeah we we have so many decisions to make this century mm-hmm. but the 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 issue with talking about the next billion people um and where they're primarily going to be born saying that that's primarily sub-saharan africa this is true mm-hmm. but it does not explain why the high and middle income countries experienced growth in the past century and then low income countries are projected to experience it in the future. And I think that that lack of context allows for racist myths about poor people in Africa or big families to perpetuate. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of mentions of like India and China and sub-Saharan Africa, um, Mm -hmm. but no mentions Like there were no connections between unsustainable consumption, which was mentioned, Mm -hmm. and where that consumption is the most concentrated, which would be the global north. Mm -hmm. Instead, they just say, quote, the growing population has helped fuel consumption at what experts say is an unsustainable pace, which just like Mm -hmm. does not account for anything. There's no mention in the article of the richest one percent or any percentage or overconsumption of the rich impacting these numbers. Even though yeah. the economic status of various countries, you know, as countries is mentioned throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, and the CNN article that we were talking about before, by contrast, does talk about this. They cite that carbon emissions of the richest 1% or about 63 million people were more than double the emissions of the poorest half of humanity between 1990 and 2015, according to a 2020 analysis by the Stockholm Environment Institute and the nonprofit Oxfam International. I think that that context is so important. Mm-hmm. Context is key, but especially in population growth conversations, you might argue that the New York Times was just reporting the basic facts. There was no issues in their factual reporting. Mm-hmm. But I think ignoring how the readers are going to react to that information is really dangerous, especially when a lot of your readers are coming from this richer global north, English-speaking whatever yeah background yeah I've seen so many like knee-jerk reactions to news or incorrect facts Mm -hmm. or things that like I feel like it is a little bit there is a responsibility to like add a little bit of context yeah not necessarily like a let's show both sides thing but like let's like have a couple people weigh in and like yeah contextualize this because I feel like it's needed in the way our media (laughs) works absolutely yeah not only in your headlines in the first few lines but like it is important to think about what people see when they first like click on an article and then the first few paragraphs because a lot of the time Mm -hmm. that's what they're going to read um yeah and so like for this entire article to not even have more context like below the fold is just Mm -hmm. a missed mark so let's start with some reliable facts according to the un global population is growing at its slowest rate since 1950 Their latest projections estimate the world's population could grow to around 8.5 billion in 2030, 9.7 billion in 2050, and that global population will reach a peak around 10.4 billion in the 2080s, then maintain that level until the following century, 2100. I think that most of these like population estimates end around 2100 because it's really difficult, like kind of like I was saying before, to estimate Mm -hmm. that far into the future of course they can make estimates but how accurate they're going to be is like so dependent on what happens in the next 80 years that it's not really worth like listening to um Mm -hmm. but if you do look at both u.s and world population growth by percentage in the last hundred years you'll see the baby boom peaking in around 1963 
and then a very steady decline since then. Um, I mm. put a screenshot in the notes that you can see, Elise, and I'll put something okay. on our social media. There are a bunch of charts that look very similar. Actually, the one that I, the screenshot that I put in here is a little bit more mellow of a decline than if you look at just U.S. population growth. Um, and that makes okay. sense. Like if you think about in the last 200 years, the medical steps that we've taken forward, the infant mortality rates that have lowered women not not dying as much in childbirth, like mm -hmm. people being able to afford to have children. Um, it makes sense mm -hmm. that the richest countries, largely in the global north, would have experienced this peak in the middle of the 20th century, roughly. Mm -hmm. um, and it would also make sense that countries that were not as wealthy at that time are experiencing more population growth now. So fears of population skyrocketing absolutely out of control are not rooted in reality, even if mm -hmm. the population continues to grow. Mm -hmm. But for people born in the 20th century, the world population reached 2 billion in 1927, which was over a century after we reached 1 billion, which was in 1904. Mm. Um, so for people born in the 20th century, there's this sense of exponential population growth based on the time mm. that they've been alive, which is understandable. Yeah. Especially people born earlier in that century. Mm -hmm. That New York Times article that I was talking about, by the way, starts off like this. Mm -hmm. They said, until 1804, fewer than one, 1 billion people roamed our planet. More than a century later, in 1927, we crossed 2 billion. Since then, the world population has shot up in the shape of a hockey stick, boosted by the triumphs of modern medicine and public health. And I've seen a lot of things that, like, talk about these numbers in the same way. And it it's hmm. scary. Like, I think if you see that in the context of, like, oh, we're just going up more and more and more. And we have all these problems that are worsening now. It's understandable to make this connection between population growth and like problems getting worse. Yeah. And when I think about this, I think about David Attenborough, who's 96 and was born in 1926, just the year before we reached mm -hmm. 2 billion, who often talks about population growth as an issue. I'm not going to come at David Attenborough. I like him. I know he's a literally <laughs> beloved TV presenter, has done a lot of work to put environmental issues and climate change in the forefront of British media and worldwide, mm -hmm. not diminishing that at all. But I'm more trying to show you how prevalent this idea is even outside of the far left and far right. I don't think you could argue that David Attenborough is part of either of those. Um, mm, yeah. But he is he's quoted on the Population Matters website as saying all of our environmental problems become easier to solve with fewer people and harder and ultimately impossible to solve with ever more people. Population Matters is a website that talks about these issues. They do say that they promote positive, practical, and ethical solutions for smaller families. They say that we believe that everyone should have the freedom and ability to choose a smaller family. They support human rights, women's empowerment, and global justice. Um, so again, not a far right or far left organization necessarily, mm -hmm. but still talking about population in this context. Um, yeah. I also just remember this from his documentary, A Life on Our Planet, which is about his life. They use these numbers to show how the population has grown in his lifetime. Um, I just mm -hmm. remember watching that and like already knowing a little bit about this myth and just being absolutely filled with anxiety. Mm -hmm. I went back to check just now and it's like it shows it in various years, basically what year it is, the world population for that year 
carbon in the atmosphere during that year and the percentage of remaining wilderness. I don't even think Mm -hmm. it's necessarily a poor tactic. Like, I think that using those sort of as chapters for his life is really interesting and jarring to see. I just wish the population wasn't a part of that or like contextualized in that way because it feels like it it almost takes away from the PPM and percentage of remaining wilderness connecting it to this issue that like is not the focus. Yeah. Yeah. I get wanting to talk about that because it is like a very like visible stat, but like I feel like there are other stats too that you could take into account Mm -hmm. alongside all of those things. And maybe population is one of them, but it's certainly not the only one. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, okay, so I don't want to spend too much time in like lecture mode, although that's kind of what this yeah. is going to be. And I'm also mad that most of the cited people in, in this subject and in most subjects are 20th and 19th century white men from the global north. Mm-hmm. But this type of thinking is not new and is definitely rooted in their work. So we've talked in the past about how much of like the conservation movement in particular and other types of ecological movements have been sort of fronts for racism and eugenics, you know, making clubs that only white people can join and conserving land that was stolen from native peoples and then only allowing white people to enjoy it. Like there's, there's a lot of history there, including in economics too. In particular, the theories of British economist Thomas Malthus have been super influential. The Malthusian trap, which I talked about in episode 62, um, it's basically the idea Mm -hmm. that as food production increases and living conditions improve, population will increase with it. Um, But since population could grow exponentially and food production is linear, overpopulation would lead to a severe drop in living conditions and eventually to a mass die off. Mm -hmm. The Malthusian model accounted for these die offs as a way to restore balance to the system. In the case of the potato famine, which I talked about in episode 62, these die-offs didn't come from an actual lack of food, but rather from loss of land control and resource hoarding, which led to usable food being shipped to England rather than being used to feed the starving Irish population. It also perpetuated Mm -hmm. a lot of stereotypes about Irish people and the Irish character, them being lazy and like not knowing how to deal with their resources, even though all of their resources were being like directly distributed to their neighbor yeah so yes lots of like problematic roots there there's also this idea of lifeboat ethics um i'm not sure if you've heard of this it's from Mm -hmm. based on the writings of an ecologist named garrett hardin Uh, i think it's from 1974 Mm -hmm. he mostly wrote about this in the 60s and 70s um when the global population was peaking or the Mm -hmm. baby boom was peaking basically the idea of the lifeboat is that there's a lifeboat with a capacity of 50 people. There's already 40 people on board. There's 100 people in the water. How many people do you add to the lifeboat and how do you choose? And so it's just like kind of rooted in this scarcity mindset of like we only, the the lifeboat is essentially a metaphor for richer countries and the water, the 100 poor people are poorer countries. Um, And Mm so- it's this kind of justification for, you know, rich countries basically hoarding their resources and not helping everyone. Um, he yeah. used the lifeboat ethics to question policies um, such as foreign aid, immigration and food banks. It's basically this idea of like sink or swim. We all are going to drown if we try to help everyone. He is listed. This is directly from Wikipedia. So take it with a grain of salt. 
he is listed by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a white nationalist whose publications were frank in their racism and quasi fascist ethno nationalism. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this idea of life with ethics like, comes up a lot in population conversations, also the work of Paul Ehrlich. Yeah, there are entire courses dedicated to these things, but like I'll just give that yeah. as kind yeah. of a grounding. Which, like, I feel like that theory is i would you call it a theory or yeah like a model i think or so yeah it's so uncreative mm-hmm. you know in that like theoretical situation i feel like there are so many things you could take turns you could build like rafts or whatever i don't you know were crea- like, yeah create so a many... chain of people okay all the people that are on the lifeboat give their life best to the people in the water like the, i don't know there are just so many different like creative approaches mm-hmm. um that I don't know. I'm thinking of the Mythbusters episode where they they see if Jack could have gone on the, the like door or whatever in Titanic. <laughs> and like the only way that it would have worked if they put is if they put like a life jacket like under the door. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I just it's so like, well, this is the way it is. Sucks for everybody else. Right. If, like we're not even going to listen. We're not going to brainstorm on this. It's just like 10 people can get on and that's that. Mm-hmm. And also this constant imagination that, well, of course, I'm on the lifeboat and I'm deciding. Yeah. Okay. What if you're in the water? Yeah. You're going to think a little bit harder about this situation, aren't you? Yeah. No, exactly. So going back to this overpopulation myth, I keep calling it this overpopulation myth. It is a myth, um, but it is rooted in a truth, which is that we are using more than one Earth's resources. Um, Mm -hmm. If you've heard of Earth Overshoot Day, it's the day every year when humanity has used all the biological resources that Earth regenerates during an entire year. Um, In 2022, it was July 28th. It's pretty much been earlier every year. And if you do it based on country, I think the U.S. hits their Overshoot Day in like April or something like that because we generally use the resources of like 12 other people. I'm like making up those exact numbers but there are statistics mm-hmm. about that um and the disconnect come comes from this idea that lower population will allow us to bridge the overshoot and it's just not that simple yeah there's no way around tackling overconsumption even with a catastrophic population decline which is sort of inherently tied to this idea that certain people are more expendable than others um the consumption patterns mm-hmm. of the richest 1% or even the richest 50% would not be eternally sustainable. The consumption of the 1% is also directly tied to the labor and oppression of the global poor. Um, and I'm trying not to lecture here, but like, I don't know, it's they're just no, it's trying to like arm with yeah. facts that yeah. if you're confronted with someone who shows these beliefs, like you can use these facts. Like I said, I'll put a lot of this on our website. I'll also yeah. try to do a little bit more calling of the specific facts to put them in that blog post um, yeah. so that you can kind of look at these. Yeah. I mean, like we we talked about this b- before and I, I mentioned that like I've come in into several scenarios where people have been like not necessarily like we're overpopulated, mm-hmm. but like kind of stemming from that a like, well, humans suck if only we didn't exist. Like humans should just like like we should just not exist. Mm-hmm. Or like humans are the problem, kind of like that doomy, gloomy talk. Yeah. Um. But like that idea, and like okay, maybe like you see how your circle is consuming, and you're like, this is unsustainable, and like if only we didn't do this. Mm-hmm. 
and that's like mostly what people mean I think but I think all these facts are like it's it's interesting because I feel like once you say it's like some of those facts the whatever one percent consuming as much as the bottom 50 percent mm-hmm. or like having that footprint or whatever yeah. and be like it's not everyone it's just like this small relatively small group of people that are like causing all of this we just need to balance it out like there's things that we can do there's a lot of people that aren't at fault at all like did those people deserve not to exist mm-hmm. like I think once you start saying that like people are like oh huh. yeah and it makes it harder because you have to deal with those problems yeah interrupting that like mindset I think can be really cool and can like open up whole conversations but like I think all these (laughs) facts are like useful Mm -hmm. because like what do you what do you I don't know and maybe that's super annoying when someone's like bitching about how terrible the world is to be like actually uh it's not yeah (laughs) but I don't know I feel like it's it's an important conversation to have Mm -hmm. and if you hear people talking like that be like okay (laughs) this is really problematic actually Mm -hmm. um and harmful and we shouldn't just say things like this because a lot of people did not put us in this boat mm-hmm. and it's not our fault either. Like we're in a huge system that's really fucked up. But yeah, I have a couple more of those facts. As soon as I was yeah, like, okay, I don't have going. an exact number on I that. Just, I was like, I just want to like, yeah, I just want to be like, you're not maybe you're lecturing, but like these are facts that I'm yeah. in my own brain Good. for these conversations. I'm glad it's useful. Um, Here's a couple more. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Let's go. Um, yes, please give them to me. Our world and data, the they said that the U.S. emits more than three times its population share. Um, that's an easy one to remember. Three times its population share. Yale 360 did a, a great article about this. It's from 2009, but I don't think that these statistics have changed dramatically. I hear them in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, they said the world's richest half billion people are responsible for 50% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions. Um, it's sort of similar mm-hmm. to the one from the CNN article above that was like carbon emissions of the richest one percent or about 63 million people are double the emissions of the poorest half of humanity. Yeah. The Yale article also cited another study by Stephen Pakala, who is the director of the Princeton Environment Institute that calculates that the world's richest half billion people, that's about seven percent of the global population, are responsible for 50 percent of the world's carbon dioxide emissions. Meanwhile, the poorest 50% are responsible for just 7% of emissions. Um, That's, again, one that's slightly dated, but it's an easy one to remember. Mm -hmm. I also think it's interesting, like when I did my initial Google search of the overpopulation myth, the primary results that came up were from religious and anti-abortion groups, um, like the Mm -hmm. U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, the Population Research Institute. Um, Actually took me a second, embarrassingly, to realize that the Population Research Institute was so um, anti-abortion, so religious, mm. um, which like was sort of a reminder to me. I'm always super intense on my sources um, for the podcast, yeah. as, as much as I can be without being a, like a literal journalist. Yeah, no, I always like like if I don't know a source, I always like go to the bottom and like try to dig through yeah. the about or like where the people are like is this like a PR website or something like, like who, like, why does this website exist? Mm -hmm. Like who's behind it? Like, is it a news source? Is it, yeah. Some like weird front for something. So yeah, I think we, we make a genuine effort to be good at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel, but that's like a good practice for like anyone like Googling things. I feel like, um, just like try to find out like what 
who who's writing this mm-hmm. and why. Yeah. And, so, and especially if you want to do more research after listening to this episode, just like keep in mind that it takes a little bit of time to find research on this topic that isn't super laced with white supremacy and religious baggage that's so present in the mm-hmm. conversation. Um, Because also, how could it not? It makes sense for this to be part of the pro-life, pro-choice movement that like touches so much of daily life, current conversation. Mm -hmm. And also, like maybe the overpopulation myth is not so much a myth, but rather a problematic framing. Maybe when we frame it that way and so when we search the overpopulation myth, we're already sort of looking for a certain thing. So, yeah, you know, in this in this topic or anything else, like just looking up population, like looking up the genuine thing that you're looking for facts on versus like mm. a sort of leading assumption. Yeah. Which is the mistake mm-hmm. that I made, essentially. Uh, I think it's a worthwhile thing to keep in mind. The reason that I find this term overpopulation problematic is because it shifts the blame away mm. from the rich who can so like, quote unquote, afford to have children and onto poor yeah. people, particularly poor women in the South. Yeah. Which, okay, I I don't know if you're going to say anything about this, but I think it's so interesting because, like, ultimately, I feel like this should all come down to, like, people's right to choose whether Mm -hmm. to or to not have kids. Because, like, when you're talking about keeping people in poverty or, like, people stuck in poverty or falling into poverty, like, having a kid when they're not ready to do so Mm -hmm. is like a huge reason why people like wouldn't be able to get ahead or like not even get ahead just like get to a place of comfort Mm -hmm. so that's I think what it what it should come down to is like giving people all the choices like all of the information all the access to healthcare that people Mm -hmm. need food everything like so people can be in a place where they're comfortable and are surviving And can decide, hey, I don't want to have kids Mm -hmm. and I have the means to not have kids or like I want to have a lot of kids and I am supported in doing that. I don't know. Yeah, that's like what the what we should be talking about. Like, what do we need to do as a a world to make that possible for people Mm -hmm. Um, so that that's a choice? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I I think kind of to that point like wealth inequality and overconsumption of resources Mm -hmm. are the main issues at play here which are very difficult things that all of us regardless of our financial status or consumption habits have to address Mm -hmm. you know I'm constantly addressing like that I live in a country where my consumption habits even if I'm not ordering a ton of like crap on Black Friday and like have changed my life in a lot of ways I still am in the global population that is consuming a lot more. But does that mean that I need to, like, become a zero impact person? Like, no, um, there's something in between there. And yeah. And so, yeah. So, like, when you do talk about population as an isolated issue, basically, if you're just saying, like, we need fewer people, really scary things can happen. Mm-hmm. A couple of examples are that ecofascists will take this as the go ahead to commit mass murder. Um, If you look up the testimonies of the Unabomber or the Christchurch shooter who opened his 2019 Mm -hmm. manifesto, it's the birth rates, it's the birth rates, it's the birth rates. Mm -hmm. I actually took that quote from a really great article about the pro-natalist movement, another separate scary thing, um, (laughs) which we were talking about before. Yeah. Which, 
like has been adopted by people like Elon Musk and a lot of other tech elites, quote unquote, who are concerned by falling birth rates and want to populate the earth with genetically superior children. Um, you know, people supposedly as smart as they are. Um, and they're like concerned by the technically falling birth rates of places like the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. There's also a massive problem with forced sterilization of women. The Fujimori government mm -hmm. in Peru sterilized indigenous women. The U.S. also has a very troubling mm -hmm. history of doing this um, to indigenous women and um, black women. There was a statistic mm -hmm. that was in an, our changing climate video. I didn't write it down, but I will link that. It's part of my sources and it's a really great video on ecofascism. It's actually not even specifically about population that said that there was a certain region that had like a population of maybe like 25% black women and 65% of them were sterilized. Damn. I'm sorry. I might be misphrasing that a little bit. Like of the people that were sterilized, 65% of them were black women. I mean, a horrible statistic. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also like China's one child policy that's caused a lot of trauma. Um, yeah. Anything with this idea of having like a male heir, like there's so many scary things that can happen when we only talk about population as an isolated issue. Um, yeah. And so the kind of final section, the thing I wanted to talk about was how to address population in everyday conversation, because if we just ignore it and refuse to have the conversation, I don't think that's going to do anyone much good. Yeah. But it also means that, like, we're going to have to sometimes have really tough conversations with people that have these really toxic ideas, even if you don't meet, mm -hmm. like, an eco-fascist who identifies as, like, a whatever far <laughs> extremist. Yeah. These ideas are perpetuated, like in everyday conversation by well-meaning people, probably people that you know. And that's kind of scary, but like, I think that it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's important um, to talk about. So for this episode, I ended up showing you my notes to get advice because I was freaking out that I wasn't yeah. encapsulating everything in an hour long <laughs> episode. Um, and we don't usually share notes like that. It's just not part of our routine. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned something really important, which was, well, you helped me a lot just like going through it. Um, but you mentioned something really important, which was how do we stop these conversations in their tracks? Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about some of those common anxieties and ways that overpopulation comes up and then also how to address them, um, mm -hmm. which we sort of talked about. I, I, yeah, I mentioned because I was just like, this is like, I'm always thinking about yeah, this. Yeah. And I, okay, I don't think ahead. I have all the answers. Like I, but I just have a couple of kind of basic tactics, which honestly are pretty similar to how to talk about climate change with people that don't agree with you, like how to talk about literally mm -hmm. anything. Um, and the first thing I'd say is that we should avoid shutting down the conversation. This is a hard one for me because I always want to be agreeable, have my facts right and avoid sort of inappropriate conversations in like pleasant company or whatever. Mm -hmm. But having these conversations can genuinely save lives. And I think also for people like you and me who experience privilege of being white people in the global mm -hmm. north it is especially on us to have these conversations with people um mm -hmm. and maybe we're at tables not that we're at the pronatalist table in like whatever the commune was in like upstate new york but like we might find what, ourselves you're not you're, you're not running in like elite tech circles because i know i, I know you are <laughs> all those friends you have in high places um yeah but like, I, yeah, I, you might find yourself at a table with someone who thinks differently than you. 
And it's important to not just like shut down that conversation because I feel like that's when people go to 4chan and and I don't know, yeah. not 8chan, but like whatever, just go to the corners of the internet yeah. and become radicalized. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or if like you're, you know, you're not in a, like a major tech circle, but if you happen to find yourself at like a bar with a bunch of like Elon fan bros yeah. or whatever. I bet you uh, find those in Austin. Fan boys. They're everywhere, but I don't talk to them. Yeah. But if I did, you I could have something to say. I could. Um, you don't have to, though. Um, but you no, could. I probably will. But if if I'm forced. Yeah. Then you have some tools. <laughs> um, so once you are in a conversation, if you chose to have that, uh, I think it's good to shift the conversation to a conversation about consumption, connect population growth to other issues of inequality and injustice in the world. Uh, I think we've given you a lot of stats in this past episode to do that. But also um, there are many resources online or just like connected to yeah everyday life. I think everyone knows something about inequality and can see it in their lives and so when you can connect that to issues of population it's helpful for people because it's not a framing that you hear every day Mm -hmm. um I also think it's good to acknowledge the fear and anxiety that comes up around this topic um I wrote here that yeah most of these tips are just ones that I would use for talking about climate change in general it's that people want mm-hmm. to feel heard. They don't want to feel like they have to be perfect in a conversation, but they want to be heard. Yeah. And um, I think that even those deepest in like the extremist circles want to understand the world better. Um, mm-hmm. And so I try as much as I can in my life to be like open to other people opening my mind and mm-hmm. trying to frame conversations in a way where I can open other people's minds because I think we benefit from that in all of this. Like, Mm -hmm. I honestly think I benefit from um, going on these websites and not realizing that they're tied to a specific group that I don't agree with Mm -hmm. on a lot of, like, fundamental principles. Like, I think it's good to not be in your echo chamber all the time. Yeah, and it's it's good to find common points Mm -hmm. where, like, I maybe, okay, we agree on all of this stuff, and if you agree on all of this stuff, then, like, would you be willing? Like, we agree on so much stuff. Like, would you be open to hearing this mm-hmm. thing yeah um, or just sneak it in there and then or understanding maybe. better how we think about certain things <laughs> yeah uh so one conversation that will hopefully live on the internet although who knows what's going to happen to twitter um that we can maybe use in his example as an example is one that i saw on twitter it was started mm-hmm. by caroline lucas who was a former leader of the green party in the uk and a former member of parliament she has like six hundred thousand yeah. followers so like um, she she didn't mm-hmm. actually say anything. She just shared a Guardian opinion article with the title. It should not be controversial to say that a population of eight billion will have a grave impact on the climate. She shared that article, mm-hmm. but like obviously with that large of a reach um, and being part of the Green Party, like that's going to elicit a reaction. Yeah, uh, there was a really great response from Dr. Jacqueline Gill, who's a paleoecologist that I followed for a little while. Um, she Mm. always has really interesting things to say. Um, and she said, the reason it's controversial is because of overpopulation anxieties, deep roots in racism and eugenics. Meanwhile, research shows that the problem is consumption, not population. In fact, consumption and emissions go up in nations as birth rates decline. Mm. Meanwhile, in the global South, where we see most of the increasing population growth rates, have contributed the least to warming while suffering the impacts the earliest and the most. Population arguments don't address the root problems and are actually harmful. 
I felt like that mm-hmm. was a kind but also very informative way of just like shutting down or, or saying this should be controversial to talk about. Um, yeah. And yeah. And just like like if you're going to fix the problem, you, you need to address what's like the biggest cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Mi- Michaela Loach also responded really well. She said. It's rightly controversial as the overpopulation argument shifts blame from those with power onto the marginalized. It's been rooted in racism and eugenics and has compromised reproductive rights of Global South women. Let's stick with climate justice rather than dog whistling to ecofascism. Um, I want to point out, like I did read the actual article, um, which was an opinion mm-hmm. article in The Guardian. In general, The Guardian, mm-hmm. I think, has very good climate coverage and is very responsive to um, when they do write headlines that are are problematic, because obviously they're fighting for our attention in this like horrible attention and headline economy that we have, mm-hmm. but also don't want to just be fear mongering. Um, and the article itself does acknowledge the split between like the overpopulation folks who are like eco fascists, and then um, you know talking about consumption and people that refuse to talk about population completely and are only going to have a conversation about consumption, which I don't think is 100% mm-hmm. the right approach either. Um, mm-hmm. the, the article calls for an acknowledgement of something in the middle that addresses the need for investment in girls' education and reproductive autonomy. So just mm-hmm. to be clear, this article, yeah, again, is is more nuanced than the headline, but it still serves as a dog whistle for ecofascism in a way that like mm-hmm. is is just worth talking about and worth kind of acknowledging. Mm-hmm. Other people I think had responded with like a lot of graphs and charts about population patterns similar to ones that I've talked about today. And I think both those women, um, Dr. Gill and Michaela Loach, responded well because they acknowledged the root of these anxieties. Obviously, there's only so much nuance that you can have in a couple of tweets, but it felt like the right place to start. And sort of my concluding idea uh, or my final Mm -hmm. point on like how to approach these conversations is that I think it's useful to challenge yourself and others to think about the future from a climate justice perspective. So imagine Mm -hmm. instead of the lifeboat, imagine transitioning from a scarcity mindset to a mindset of abundance. Yeah. How can we solve this problem so that all of us survive rather than just thinking about how do we keep these exact same conditions for a select few mm-hmm. um, from the idea that we need one all powerful leader or a very small group of elites rather than a leaderful population? Um, and also, how can we make these conversations more every day so that people can see into this future that is more just, mm-hmm. that is more equitable, um, that suffers yet less from this horrible inequality and injustice that we're constantly facing? And that acknowledges, yeah, the anxieties that people have that are very real, even situated in a myth. That's all I have. Yeah. I, okay. So I also think, like, if you're, if we're going to talk about the lifeboat thing, just, like, one more thing Mm -hmm. is, like, since scientific circles, I guess, and powerful circles have been, like, relatively small and, like, not diverse, Mm -hmm. um, at at least, like, Global North ones, um, and... Like, if you are in the lifeboat situation, like, okay, what if you had 150 people, but in that extra 50 people, there's, like, an engineer or, like, someone who's, like, super smart and, like, they come up with a way to get you out mm-hmm. of it. Um, So, I, I don't know. I think, like, also, like, opening up the floor and not being, like, 
our very narrow perspective of like our lived experience and whatever, like we might not have the answers, but someone else Mm -hmm. might. um, And like, we should be open to that. Yeah. Um, And like more people means more ideas as well. Mm -hmm. And like more perspectives and. Yeah. And more education too. I mean, like there's, it's an interesting way to think about this. Like instead of going down the doom spiral of like, oh my gosh, there's too many people. Mm-hmm. think about what that can offer us and like how that can help us yeah transition to a much more uh equitable society mm-hmm. that is better than what we have now like I think that's the biggest thing like the future could yeah. be so much better than the present <laughs> and don't yeah. feel like um people that are on the far extremities of this I like of this ideology think about that yeah yeah. And like, how could all those extra people like help with supply chain and like make sure we all have more with less mm-hmm. kind of stuff or like to, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Streamline systems and yeah, grow things in communities. Yeah. Should we go to the dump or do you have? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. On the subject of the last episode, you recommended that show Ghosts, uh, yeah. which I just finished last night well okay I'm not I finished series three there's uh it's the UK version of this show ghosts um which you explained in the last episode it's basically this woman inherits this massive house she has like a accident in the first episode that she like dies for a couple seconds um and then when Mm -hmm. she recovers she is able to see all the ghosts in the house and it's so silly I mean you recommended it last time so so you can just listen to your description of it but I felt like I kind of needed like a very silly show that I could binge and that was like perfect mm-hmm. um and there is a series four but I think it's only available in the UK right now okay hopefully it'll yeah be around eventually get, get here soon but it's just so silly and yeah. there's so many characters um they're so funny I think my favorite is the lady who died in a fire oh yeah who's like from like like she's like a peasant but like she I thought she, she was like, burned at the stake she, she was a witch was she burned at the stake it, one of the two oh, okay, yeah maybe I don't know it, she either way she burned in a fire like she died in a yeah. fire either burned or whatever um but like yeah she she like doesn't speak English very well yeah. like she speaks like like peasant English and she always like is just saying like what is she saying yeah. and I, I that's my favorite yeah the the dynamics um, between all these people who died in like completely different centuries is really funny. yeah it's just so funny I love it um so yeah I'm glad you watched yeah. it because it's it's just so silly um yeah no I definitely would recommend it and for some reason to me it's a good like winter show like it's been an it, I was watching it as like the time was changing and you know it was getting a lot darker and colder around here and it was like a good cozy show I'll I'll probably rewatch it yeah because it's like a yeah big old drafty house like it it is like very like cozy vibes somehow um yeah because like you also think like oh like I don't know like Halloween time but then it's like very like heartwarming at Mm -hmm. times and (laughs) yeah it's not uh, it's not legit yeah it makes it feel cozier like fall and like it's England, so it's like I don't know over. Yeah. Um, I read a book. What? Surprisingly, I know, right? <laughs> um, it's called "How High We Go in the Dark." Have you heard? I like of it? the title. I've never heard of it. By Sequoia Nagamatsu, and it's 
really interesting because it it deals with like a pandemic and climate change so it's like it's honestly like you would think that it would be bad like too close to home Mm -hmm. um but it's so different in a lot of ways that it's like it adds like a magical quality to like all those things or just like surreal or like really extreme situations um and it was just really interesting Hmm. and I I think it's really interesting uh to read books that um are like about climate change but like not like it it was a big focus of like trying to fix climate change and like whatever but it it wasn't is it a novel or no yeah it's a novel um and it's kind of like each chapter is from the perspective of different people and Mm. there's like a so there's a bunch of like smaller stories but they're all like they connect Mm. yeah it's really it was really interesting uh and i the ending was really really cool um so i i would recommend that i i just saw it on a bunch of like um lists of books to read Mm. um because i just wanted to read like all like science fiction yeah um because I also finished Parable of the Talents. Finally, it took me so long. I need um, to finish Parable of the Sower. I'm like 25% through, quarter of the way through. Okay. I'm, I was thinking okay. as I was listening, I was getting so out of myself. I also heard that the like Hulu Kindred series is coming out either very soon or maybe oh, just came okay. out. Um, I was like, we need to do like a book club, movie club yeah. for all of the Octavia I'm down. Things. Yeah. But I have to read a lot more you, before yeah then. yeah we should that's on it's all so good and like it's i don't know it's so interesting because yeah. like the second book span like covers a lot more time mm. um and it's like a lot of different perspectives which is just it's really interesting yeah um and like imperfect solutions or imperfect ways of coming at things um i i think the book does a really good job of uh kind of like no one's 100% right it's just like really where people are coming from it's really good and and the other book was really really interesting too and again like I I think it's interesting to see like more novels about like climate change and Mm -hmm. stuff and especially Um, ones like that that were written whatever decades ago yeah that one yeah and then the other one is new I think it I think it came out like this year but like to have it be like actually like a really compelling yeah, it came out the top of this mm. year. Um, but have it be like a really compelling story that doesn't feel like, okay, you're like forcing this down my throat. And it's yeah. like, you're like being preachy. Like it wasn't preachy at all. Um, it was just people reacting to things that were happening. Yeah. Uh, I love that. So. And I think uh, writers are getting even better about that because it's their world. And so like, we're, I don't know, I feel like we're seeing people interact with the pandemic too in a more artistic way like sort of got the Mm -hmm. early adopters that were just like regurgitating things that we were sick of seeing but like I've seen it used really beautifully and artistically of like talking about the ways that it's impacted our lives um and so same with climate change too it's like as it impacts more and more people's lives it's also impacting more and more artists lives and so they are interpreting it through their own lenses um, yeah, I need to, I, I want to read that. I really like the title. Um, and there are a couple, mm-hmm. like I never read Ministry of the Future. It was one of those books I asked for okay. a couple of years ago and it was like completely sold out. And then I just never put it back at the top of my reading list. Um, but I've read a lot, like I tend to read more nonfiction 
And so, yeah, I did for a long time and then I gave myself a little. Yeah. Break. Well, like there, I mean, there are books that we've already talked about on here, which is like Warmth by Daniel Sherrill. I have yeah. it up. It's like sitting in front of me. Um, How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell, I think. Um, Okay. Is we, we've talked about that before, too. It's not about climate change at all, mm -hmm. but like it comes into it and ecology comes into that book a lot, too. Uh, and so I'm always trying to get myself to read more fiction because I love it. It like sets my mind on fire in a good way, but it's like hard yeah. for me to get into it sometimes. And so the last two books that I've read in the last few weeks were, well, one audiobook and one physical book were like honestly really smutty, like <laughs> romance novels. Yeah, I love that. Which... What, what, what were they? <laughs> well, actually, no. I was telling my dad about. Um, I read Verity by Colleen Hoover over the weekend, um, okay. which I did that. not enjoy. But also, I've been on the Reddit page, like trying to see what other people are thinking about it. So, okay, um, like obviously, it, it interested me in a certain way, and I read the whole thing. Yeah, uh, but it's it's always that thing with like action books where. I sort of get irritated by like the poor character development, in my opinion, or like the yeah. sort of utilitarian writing. But then also the yeah. books that I like that have like really beautiful language and nothing happens. It takes I take, so long to read. I read them in yeah. like that's six months or two years. And like that's not cool yeah. either. So anyways. Yeah. Sometimes I need a page turner to like get me enthusiastic about reading yeah. and then I finished the the like long beautiful books that I will not stop talking yeah. about forever that's um, what okay so like I started well I bought Parable of the Parable of the Sower for myself for my birthday a year and mm -hmm. a half ago I started reading mm -hmm. it um and started reading it a little bit more in October and then I yeah I read these two books and now I'm back to Parable of the Sower I was listening to the audio I have both but I was listening to the audiobook yeah. version of it on the bus yesterday and I was like oh my gosh like, this is what I needed. You know, there's a balance. Yeah. Um, the other book that I would recommend more was Beach Read by Emily Henry. That one was less of okay. like a pure. It was um, Verity is like a romantic thriller. And then Beach Read is just more of like a romance novel um, that's yeah. easy to get through. But it is like, I don't know, a, a, I guess a lighter read. Uh, and yeah, mm -hmm. it was it was just fun. Like I hadn't read a, a book like that in a while. And I used to read those all the time in like high school especially and so mm -hmm. it's just it's like a fun thing yeah to like grease the wheels and stuff and then now I feel like I'm like everyone give me books like let's I'm read. gonna read through yeah, the me whole too. winter we'll see I know that's how I feel right now I'm I'm like my appetite for reading is a lot higher than it normally yeah. is um but yeah I don't know I really enjoyed those books because they also like go well into the future mm -hmm. and have a really relatively large time scope which I think is really helpful in like seeing depictions of like an imperfect future that like isn't necessarily um perfect like there's still catastrophes mm -hmm. happening because like there's always going to be cat catastrophes that happen but like at the same time people are still living their lives and like doing normal stuff and their people still have families and friends and still like go out and have yeah. fun um and so I don't know I think it's like it's nice to see that like a depiction of the future because I think we talked about this literally last time um I think yeah I I talked about it how I was like I don't think I've seen a like positive mm. depiction of the future and this one wasn't really um but it was still like very normal mm -hmm. if that makes sense like it was like oh like life goes on kind of um and same with um same with P Parable of the Talents it was very like okay life goes on um 
and things change and whatever um which i think is nice yeah to not be like the worst case scenario yeah um even when you're talking about things that seem worst case scenario so i really like them if you need like i don't know good like fiction interesting um but like perspective books those are good another thing related to books that i would recommend i mean buying from like local bookstores i feel like is my favorite thing to do for the holidays because it's an easy thing to buy Mm -hmm. like a bunch of books for like everyone on your list um yeah support local whatever but um even if you can't support them financially parnassus books is like i i didn't even follow them i don't think on instagram Mm -hmm. until i moved out of nashville and their instagram is so delightful um i don't know if i've talked about this i might follow them no I because I love that store yeah. when I lived in Nashville. I'm gonna follow them. Right Do it now. because I, every once in a while I like catch myself like binge watching their. Um, this is so funny, but they have, um, I don't know. They do these like 10 minute video series, and one of them is called "If okay. You Haven't Read It, It's New to You," which I think is so funny. Um, and Patchett like usually, okay. I guess, hosts that one. I mean, she just they just film it on an iPhone and stand in front of all the books there and she will recommend yeah. a couple of books that aren't new but if you haven't read them they're new to you uh that's so fun and she yeah. is an incredible writer and so like and just a very whatever friendly personable well-spoken person and so for her to recommend a book and talk about why she likes it it's like the best testimony ever I mean I was like oh I want to read this like you know middle school fiction robot book that's like targeted at like middle school boys because like it sounds so interesting when she talks about it yeah Um, and not in an overconsumption way but like just you can get these from the library whatever but like I I love watching them because it just feels so cozy it feels like you're sitting in the bookstore with her um and there's other people from the shop that will like talk about the books that they're reading too um and Mm -hmm. yeah it's just a very like wholesome thing on social media um I love that and then you can like think about books also like for people in your life who might not have similar taste to you. It'll help you figure out what to get for them. They have like book bundles and mm-hmm. suggestions for things to read together or like if you liked this, you might like this, that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, I love I love books as presents. I think it's so like I, it can be such like an intimate mm-hmm. gift to give just because like it's like I think you'd love this story um, and I love getting gifts as presents. Yeah. too. Um, just like I like even when I graduated college, my siblings got me like a bunch of books by like some of my favorite authors mm. that I maybe didn't I didn't own, but like or maybe it was like another book by the same author and it was just like so sweet. It was like a little collection. Yeah. Um and so I I don't know. I love I love books. Especially if people talk about liking a certain genre and then you're like, I think you're gonna love yeah. this. Yeah. It's so like and then you can talk to them about it later and like the connection, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Yay for books. Yay for books. Yay for reading. Um, should we sign off? Good times. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, if you <laughs> if you have any good books that you've read this year, Tell us. please DM us <laughs> uh, on Twitter, uh, which is weird, but we're yeah. still there. <laughs> uh, we'll see how long that lasts. At World is Burning No G, and we're the same on Instagram um and on tiktok at world is burning with a g and you can also email mm-hmm. us at world is burning pod at gmail.com and 
lots of sources yeah, for this. Sh- I think you already said that, but lots of sources for this yeah. episode in particular, worldsburning.com. Again, like honestly, if you go to school and you ever have to write a paper um, on any of the topics we cover, my my sister has gone to like our our page and like gotten a head start on Listen. projects. So they're they're good sources. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. If you want to write a paper, send and, us the paper. Use, we'll grade it. Guess this is start. Yes, yeah, send it. We'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a thing. Um, and if you have any conversations with your family over the holidays about overpopulation or population growth or, or climate change, yeah. climate related. Yeah. And maybe you have a good conversation. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear updates about mm-hmm. that because um, they're important conversations. Mm-hmm. Are we going to are we going to take a little break? I think so. Well, a little yeah, holiday. Maybe we have to talk about it, but probably <laughs> we're definitely going to take a break, probably. whether it's this episode or another one. We'll have to talk about it after this. <laughs> soon. We will. Okay. So we'll maybe see you soon or maybe see you next It'll year. It'll be a mystery. <laughs> Just like life. All right. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, bye. bye. <laughs>